Hello everyone, I'm Peter Lupson, author of the book Thank God for Football, about the church origins of 12 famous English football clubs who have played in the FA Premier League. The series is based on my book Thank God for Football, which is available from Amazon or directly from the publisher SPCK. Today's club is Everton, with its offspring, Liverpool. Why is this the only episode in the series that features two clubs instead of just one? Simply because Liverpool Football Club emerged out of Everton Football Club and their stories are interwoven. They begin in July 1877 when 32-year-old Reverend Ben Swift Chambers was appointed minister of St. Domingo Methodist Church in the Everton district of Liverpool. He was a warm, caring person and people were quickly drawn to him. Chambers was an enthusiastic supporter of the muscular Christian movement that spread throughout England in the last quarter of the 19th century. Muscular Christians firmly believed in rolling up their sleeves and getting stuck in to help others. They brought about great improvements in the living conditions of the poor. They also placed great value on outdoor recreational activities to promote good health, especially team sports, such as cricket and football, which they also saw as a very effective means of developing qualities of Christian character, such as courage, fair play, unselfishness and self-control. Chambers was a great lover of cricket, and in summer 1878 persuaded members of the young men's Bible class in the Sunday school to form a cricket club. Remarkably, this was the first step that led to the birth of Merseyside's two mighty football clubs, because in the winter of 1878 these cricketers decided to take up football to keep themselves fit for the following cricket season. Wanting a distinct identity as footballers in the winter, they were given Reverend Chambers' permission to use the name of the church in the title of their new club, the St. Domingo Football Club. Interestingly, one of the players, 20-year-old Alfred Wade, was the son of St. Domingo trustee Joseph Wade, who had laid the foundation stone of the church in 1870. Alfred was in the first ever Everton team and he also served the club as a director for many years. After a few practice games among themselves, the St. Domingo lads began to take on other church teams. Such was their progress that they were soon recognised as the best team in the area and attracted the better players of other clubs into their ranks. By November 1879, it was clear that their enlarged squad was no longer truly representative of the church in whose name the club was playing. And so, that month, it was decided to change the name to Everton Football Club, after the district in which most of the players lived. Before the start of the 1881-2 season, John Holding was appointed the club's first president. He was a Liverpool brewer and influential local politician whose house in Anfield Road overlooked their pitch in Stanley Park. He was to lead the club to great heights. It was he who built the famous Anfield Stadium as the club's home and he masterminded the success that led to Everton becoming Football League champions in 1891. The season following the championship triumph was marked by a bitter split within the club. 
When Holding proposed that the club should buy his land and a plot next to it to facilitate summer sports at the ground and to generate year-round revenue, the management committee fiercely opposed him. They felt he was asking an exorbitant amount for his land. Progressive increases on the rental of his Anfield stadium were also a source of friction, but deeper issues than money divided them. Many members of the Everton committee were teetotalers and active in the temperance movement, which tried to get alcohol banned because of the social misery it caused. Inevitably, this caused tension with Holding, who was a brewer, and whose public house, the Sandon Hotel, was the club's HQ. Furthermore, a number of the committee were active members of the anti-drink Liberal Party and crossed swords with Holding, a prominent Conservative, in the political arena. One of Holding's fiercest opponents was George Mann, senior partner in a Liverpool accountancy firm and organist at St Domingo Church. Mann was sure that the committee's relationship with Holding would eventually break down and lead to the club's expulsion from Anfield. Anticipating this, he found land a mile away across Stanley Park on which a new stadium could be built. Continually failing to reach agreement with the committee, Holding decided in January 1892 to register Everton Football Club in his own name. Mann immediately appealed to the FA, football's ruling body, insisting that Everton's name was vested in the committee, not in Holding. The FA upheld Mann's appeal and informed Holding he could continue to run a football club at Anfield, but under a different name. By May, the breakdown with Everton was irreversible, and that month, Holding duly registered Liverpool as the name of his new club. Time was now of the essence for Everton to find the money to erect a stadium on the land Mann had acquired and to have all work completed by the start of the football season. Remarkably, the target was achieved and the stadium was officially opened in August amidst great ceremony as Goodison Park. But what about Holdings Liverpool Club? As only three members of the Everton squad had stayed loyal to him, he had to start from scratch in raising a team. His right-hand man, John McKenna, travelled to Scotland and recruited 13 players, earning Liverpool the nickname the Team of Max. The team got off to a flying start in the Lancashire League and won it at the first attempt. They were immediately elected to the second division of the Football League and finished top in their first season. However, promotion to the first division proved disastrous. They finished bottom and were relegated. Yet, showing great character, they bounced straight back and won the second division title the following season. The pinnacle was reached in 1900 to 1901 when they won the first division championship. It was the second time that Holding had achieved this, first with Everton, now with Liverpool. Five years later, in 1906, Liverpool again won the First Division Championship, making it a magnificent Merseyside double that season, as Everton won the FA Cup for the first time. But sadly, Holding, the driving force between the two clubs' first major successes, did not live long enough to see this double triumph. It was his death in 1902, at the age of 69, 
that proved to be the decisive turning point in the relationship between Everton and Liverpool after the bitter split ten years earlier. During those ten years, the clubs mellowed in their attitude towards each other, both recognising how much they owe to Holding, and on his death resolved to honour him together. The flags at both Anfield and Goodison Park were flown at half-mast, and directors of both clubs attended Holding's funeral. But without doubt, there was no act of forgiveness and reconciliation more symbolic than the choice of the pole-bearers. Three Everton and three Liverpool players. They carried Holding's coffin into the church of St Simon and St Jude near his home, and afterwards to his graveside in Everton Cemetery. It was the start of genuine goodwill and unity between the clubs, and their stories began to overlap again, but this time positively, as several examples will show. In 1904, they launched an official joint match programme and more than 1,100 issues were produced over the next 30 years. The names of the two clubs were always prominently displayed together on the front cover and when colour appeared for the first time, the cartoon image of a player on the cover kicking a ball showed which team was at home. If it was Everton, the player wore a blue shirt and kicked a blue ball. If it was Liverpool he wore a red shirt and kicked a red ball. In the 1904-05 season, Liverpool were involved in a three-horse race with Bolton Wanderers and Manchester United in a race for the second division title. In a key match at Bolton, which would affect Liverpool's promotion prospects, the Everton and Liverpool players travelled together to watch the game. Everton were in the first division and were keen for Liverpool to join them in the top flight. In 1906, when Everton won the FA Cup for the first time, they knocked Liverpool out in the semi-final. But when the victorious Everton team arrived back in Liverpool with the trophy, Liverpool's directors were at the station to greet and congratulate them. In 1929, Everton held their Jubilee dinner to celebrate their 50th anniversary. Tom Crompton, the Liverpool chairman, was among the guests. Everton chairman Will Cuff, who presided at the event, referred to him as the genial chairman of our friends across the park. During the 1930s, the two clubs joined together for a social evening after their derby games. If the game was at Anfield, the evening was spent at Goodison Park, and vice versa. And they further combined their social activities by forming a joint cricket team to play other teams in the area. The death of John McKenna in 1936, the man who recruited the first Liverpool team and who later became club chairman, showed the solidarity that now existed between the clubs. When his coffin was carried into the church for his funeral, it was followed down the aisle by three Everton and three Liverpool players in the presence of the directors of both clubs. A developing spiritual bond underlay all these expressions of unity. From before the First World War until after the Second, Everton and Liverpool worshipped together once a year at St Domingo Church at a service known as Football Sunday. This was such a popular event that in the 1930s even the minister's daughters were only sure of a seat if they had an early tea. 
This spiritual bond was much in evidence after the terrible tragedy of 1989 in the Hillsborough Stadium in Sheffield, which cost 97 Liverpool fans their lives. Supporters of both Everton and Liverpool rallied round each other, helping each other in whatever way they could, and seeking comfort together at services in Liverpool's Anglican and Catholic cathedrals. Who could ever forget the deeply moving gesture of mutual support that occurred prior to a match in 2007 when Liverpool's Anfield Stadium rang out to the sound of Everton's anthem, Zed Cars, in honour of 11-year-old Everton supporter, Rhys Jones. Rhys had been on his way home from football training and was struck down by a bullet fired by a gunman intent on killing members of a rival gang. Rhys had innocently wandered into the line of fire. In 2008, Everton and Liverpool jointly restored the grave of the Reverend Ben Chambers in Shepley, Yorkshire. At the service of commemoration in Shepley Methodist Church, conducted by the chaplains of both clubs and the minister of the church, Everton's president Sir Philip Carter and Liverpool's chief executive Rick Parry both spoke of the debt their clubs owed to Chambers. Rick Parry paid the following tribute to him. Through cricket and football, Ben Chambers showed his commitment to getting young boys off the street. He did not see football and faith as incongruous, but rather as complementary. On behalf of Liverpool and our neighbours Everton, we salute this caring and committed Christian man. After the service, three Everton players and three Liverpool players joined the clergy at the head of the procession to the cemetery for the rededication of Reverend Chambers' grave. He would no doubt have been delighted that this symbol of unity was a visible continuation of the spirit of forgiveness and reconciliation that had brought healing between the clubs at the funeral of John Holding over 100 years previously. I hope you enjoyed that story. Join us again next time to hear another one about the church origin of a famous English football club. Until then, it's goodbye from me, Peter Lupson, author of Thank God for Football. <laughs>